So it's a dog days of August, but sports media never sleeps, Andrew. We've got DirecTV and Amazon coming to a deal. Champions League, they're coming to a deal. Uh, and then we have Live Golf, which uh, just had a tournament in Bedminster. Yeah, Charles Barkley made a decision. I guess, you know what? He won't do anything for money. Listen, if somebody gave me $200 million, I'd kill a relative. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back. The Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. And John, let's do it right away. Who's up? Who's down? Who's up? Who's down? All right, Andrew, I'll start my who's up. Bill Morrow, who is the head of DirecTV, and it's based on uh, my story of DirecTV is close to doing a deal where they're going to uh, be carrying Thursday night football in bars and restaurants. And the reason I chose Moro is that this sets up what DirecTV's strategy is going to be as it pertains to sports. And I know it's going to be our first topic, but they have a very real good strategy about taking sports from these streamers and providing it to bars and restaurants which still need the old school direct TV. Yeah, we'll go deeper into that because I think it has also some Sunday ticket uh, ramifications that we'll get into in a moment. All right, my who's up? And good afternoon, everybody. Mine goes to Chris Russo. That's my impersonation. I am terrible at impersonations, as we know. Chris Russo goes into the Radio Hall of Fame. Uh, of course he does. He, I, I, I was the first one in there. Now my sidekick gets in there. So was that, a good, was that <laughs> no. a good friend, Tessa? <laughs> that was like a true Marylander doing an impersonation of Mike Francesa. But yes, Francesa got in a few dog, years ago. Dog. Which, which was those two have had their uh, you know, there's been some, you know, not bad feel eh, bad feelings is probably the right term. Uh, but Francesa got in a few years ago. So uh, Russo gets in the Hall of Fame, Susan Waldman gets into the Hall of Fame. Jeff Smolian, who started WFAN years ago in the late 80s, uh, he gets into the Radio Hall of Fame. I don't even know what the Radio Hall of Fame is. I don't know. I was going to say, what is the Radio Hall of Fame? Because is, is this like the local sports Emmys where everybody gets a local sports Emmy? Or Like, I don't want to degrade the Radio Hall of Fame, but I also am not going to act like it's important. But I will say this. This is really my bigger point and why Chris Russo is uh, my who's up this week. I feel like when you look at Russo and Francesa, that Russo has surpassed Francesa. He's kind of Tom brady to Peyton Manning of uh, Francesa. They had their legendary run, uh, you know, iconic run in New York. Uh, they came up at the right time when sports radio exploded. They had a tremendous chemistry and it was a great show. And so they will always have that. And that's what they're most known for. But you look at that post, that second career, now, now a third career, uh, Russo has outdid him. He's been successful with Mad Dog Radio, which on Sirius XM, that's a tremendous station uh, with Adam Shine, Pat McAfee. Uh, they have the Morning Men. They, they, they have a very good, strong lineup uh, throughout the day, led by Russo in the afternoons. Uh, and then now with First Take, uh, a new generation is seeing Russo at work with Stephen A and company. They probably love you know, you say Tom Brady and Peyton Manning comparison, and we're talking about radio, but Russo, I think you can make a pretty good argument that he's the best sports talk show host of all time. Uh, and the reason is he's missing a screw. 
But for a sports radio host, <laughs> it's a good screw to be missing. Wouldn't Russo rather you do Johnny Unitas and Otto Graham make that sort of comparison there? It was like they do do that and they dance on uh, Russo on uh, first take with his old school. But he's 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 he knows the relevant stuff. I mean, it just it, I will say this, and we've talked about this before. A lot of what you do on the air, it's what you say, but also how you say it. And, you know, Russo just, he also, he hit it at the right time. You know, he wanted to be a play-by-player. Zero chance he could do that, right? He can't pronounce any names correctly. Uh, you know, just the other day, our boy Jimmy Trainer pointed this out. Uh, he was talking about uh, Gallo, uh, Joey Gallo, who probably get traded as we speak, was on the Yankees. He was calling him Joey Galloway. But it's like endearing, <laughs> right? I mean, this is a major league baseball player. He has a show on MLB Network, and he's calling him Joey Galloway. But it's just fun to listen to. Uh, and then there's just like classic lines and the enthusiasm for doing the show. And here's the thing. He's a little bit of a mad genius. I mean, I did. I wrote about him a few years ago. He knows what he's doing on the air. Like he's not just some, he's not stupid. Like he, he is uh, a savant when it comes to radio and he knows how to push buttons and he knows how to make it entertaining and he's deserving. If the radio hall of fame means anything, he just, he, he, he definitely deserves to be in there uh, for what he's done in sports radio. All right. I'm going to leave it with you, Andrew. Take us on your who's down. John, I am going to stay with radio and my who's down is people who say radio is dying. Look, I'm not naive. I know, you know, Starting with this podcast, the podcasts are the fastest growing audio uh, delivery system. And so radio is old school. But I just looked to a deal the Yankees just did with WFAN in New York. It's a seven-year deal uh, with opt-outs for good money still. Maybe not as much as they were paying previously, which was around $15, $16 million a year. It's a, probably a little bit less. But still, that's a lot of money. That's a big commitment. And just driving over the past weekend, you know, you have John Sterling and Susan Waldman on the Yankee game. There is something special still about listening to radio uh, and listening to the game while you're in the car, when you're at the beach. Now, you know, I listen to radio much differently. Like when I'm around my house, it's always Alexa, you know, play this. Alexa, don't do it now, please. Thank you. Um, but the, uh, you know, play, you know that, that's how I use it. So radio is, is, is transforming. And it is challenged, but like, it's like kind of all these, like newspapers are still alive. Is it dying? Yeah, we're all dying. Uh, you know, <laughs> right? Wow, like, you went dark really quickly there, Andrew, my goodness. Well, I would say in media, we all are dying, right? Like there are still, like the New York Post is still on paper, right? New York Times is still on paper. Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, but a lot of papers are moving away from, but they're still around, you know, and newspapers would be, and again, I get it. I'm not saying the whole industry of newspapers, especially smaller papers are not, it's not a, it's not a good scene. Don't get me wrong, but they're not all dying. And I do think sports radio, that uh, immediacy that you get when you have a trade, like today with the trade deadline. Uh, yeah. You know, people can do podcasts and there's things that are, uh, that are coming out digitally where they're trying to do radio uh, in a digital form that's just pure digital. And, and yeah, that will transform it. But still, there's not that immediacy of what you get with radio, hearing from fans, hearing from hosts. And even if they don't know what they're talking about, which hosts, you know, in, in sports radio largely don't, uh, you still, it's a way to, for a community to get together that's very quick and instant. And yeah, you have other things, ways to do it, like Twitter, et cetera. But it's a nice way to listen uh, when something happens, especially. Well, I'm going to take the who's down. I'm going to go south of New York to Philadelphia and Brian Roberts of Comcast. Comcast just did their second quarter numbers and a couple of things really stood out to me. The, the whole cable industry 
has been dealing with cord cutting. And so the people that subscribe to cable for video has been dropping like a stone for years. And that's, that's not slowing down at all. Everybody was uh, sort of had accepted that, but Comcast and other cable operators were doing okay because they were still growing broadband subs. And, and when they uh, invest into the broadband business, they have no programming costs. So it's all just a clear profit that, that they're bringing in. Broadband subscribers, uh, residential broadband subscribers for Comcast dropped for the first time ever. Um, and, and if you compare it with their business broadband, they were at a net zero, which is uh, which was almost shocking to see. Uh, then you take a look at, at Peacock. You know, everything's going to streaming, right? NBC, Comcast, they're investing a lot into Peacock. It did not add any subscribers from the first quarter to the second quarter. Granted, there were no Olympics, there were no, there was no Super Bowl, there was no sort of, you know, big event to draw subscribers to it. But the fact that a new streaming service was unable to grow subscribers was something that, uh, that, that I took note of. John, I got to be honest, I've been completely distracted by your Frances impersonation. <laughs> Can we hear that again? Of course he does. He, I, I, I was the first one in there. Now my sidekick gets in there. Dog, dog. I got past it. Now, look, this is bad news. Let's get back to your point. Okay, sorry, John. I had to do that. I just was totally distracted by your Frances impersonation. Uh, it's a classic. Let's get back to Peacock and Brian Roberts. So what do, what do you think this means for their business? Uh, going forward, huge investment in the Premier League. They have NFL. Uh, they have one, I think, exclusive game starting, is it next, not this year, but the following year. They'll be on Peacock. Uh, where do you see them going? What do you see strategy-wise? I don't know. I, mean, I, I, wish, I, I wish I could have a hot take for you here. All I know is that if you take a look at Netflix numbers, if you take a look at the way Wall Street is valuing these streaming services, they used to say, we just want you to grow subscribers at any cost. Now they're worried about costs and you have these companies like Netflix and like Peacock that just aren't growing subscribers. What's going to help Peacock grow subscribers to the point where it can actually compete with, you know, a Disney bundle, a Netflix, or even like, you know, we talk all the time about Amazon and Apple, to, uh, you know, Prime or, or Apple TV Plus. I mean, that's the big question that faces Comcast right now. What what can they do to draw more subscribers to uh, to Peacock? Because they have the uh, WWE uh, deals, so the WWE Network. They have exclusive sports, Premier League. They're, uh, NBC's about to start its tenth season, so presumably they're going to uh, start to get some subscribers there. But like, what's going to move the needle? And that's that's what we're waiting to see. Fox. They look pretty smart right now. They haven't invested. Uh, in a subscription streaming service. They do have Tubi, but they're sort of sitting there with their linear product, their cable product, and they, they're letting everyone else spend all this money that, you know, with the hope that streaming is going to be the next big thing. And maybe it will be, but I think really from the start, it's, it's felt like there's going to be the big boys. And if you can't compete at that level, is there a business or will you eventually be swallowed up? Uh, and so it'll be, you know, does, uh, Peacock double down, spend even more. Uh, I don't know. You know, that, that's that's where you're right. Wh what you do with strategy. And I think when Rupert Murdoch and Fox, they sold all those assets to Disney. Now, now it's what, five years ago, at least. Rupert Murdoch saw that. He saw this coming. Either you're going to be in this arms race, getting rights and spending billions and billions, or you have to pull back and 
take in what do you get 70 billion i think from disney and then reassess the field uh which fox has done i do believe in espn and what they're doing too like if you're going to go all in and disney and you have the bundle it makes a lot of sense to me where you're creating another sort of like another cable moat but you are going to have more control over that um where does peacock where does paramount plus and cbs you know fall into that yeah i don't i, I don't think if you talk to fox executives they're not they weren't looking at streaming as sort of a fad you know streaming is is real i think that they didn't see a first mover advantage i think that they uh, the fox looked at at this and said we'll let other people make mistakes and other people figure out uh you know the the right way forward and eventually we'll adopt that or potentially you know we we have a broadcast network and some you know uh cable channels in FS1 and Fox News that have like devoted audiences that would be ripe for a sale. I mean, so so the, the, they don't necessarily have that money pit of the uh, uh, of a streaming service on top. Of I'm gonna I'm gonna use that answer when people ask why do you guys start a podcast now. <laughs> I'm gonna say I want to see if other people made mistakes. I kind of was looking back, see how they did, <laughs> and then we decide in 2022. You know what? Let's uh, late 2022. It's podcast time. Uh, <laughs> it isn't like. 1983. Uh, I wanted to do a podcast for years and years, so I, I wasn't as far behind as it may appear. John, let's move into the topic, even though that was sort of like a topic. Uh, and DirecTV and Amazon, you broke the story that DirecTV is going to do a deal, nothing signed yet, where they're going to be doing Thursdays uh, on uh, for, for for Thursday Night Football. The Amazon's going to stream uh, for bars and restaurants. Uh, tell us more about that story. Well, this was a really big issue for people that own restaurants and bars because uh, there, most restaurants and bars, if you look at big chains, like I heard Buffalo Wild Wings that was really concerned about this because they, they, they have chains across the country with multiple TV sets, none of which are, are able to stream, stream games to them uh, or, or, or it takes a lot to stream games to them. If you have that many TVs in one bar, then you end up with latency issues and buffering issues. And, and, and you know, these are problems that we're going to laugh about in five years because it's going to get better and people are going to figure this out. But right now, they need a solution in order to get, you know, a, a national NFL game into, into these bars. And it's not just a big change. There's also mom and pop bars on the, on the corner or just, you know, just, you know, general restaurants that are out there. And that's where DirecTV comes in. They already have a relationship with DirecTV. They all, they all have Sunday ticket packages. And this is, this is just a way to say like, okay, we have that technology already in here. Let's ensure that we get Thursday night football without interruption starting this year. Because uh, as, as we know, Thursday night football exclusively to Amazon uh, on a national basis, uh, which is uh, you know, not part of a Sunday ticket package. So, so th this was an important deal for um for direct tv to to make for uh, to keep these restaurants whole and you can see it with sunday ticket that kind of presumably is going to apple although we haven't neither of us have eliminated amazon yet apple does seem to be the leading candidate uh that that would be part of that so on sundays all these bars will be able to have a package of having all these games without having to worry about streaming uh which makes sense is that what you fully expect as well it's unknown because you don't uh, we know because we cover apple like to to predict what Apple's going to do is, is going to be a folly. Apple could decide, like, we're going to try to do it alone. But right now, DirecTV has laid out a roadmap for Sunday Ticket, for MLS, 
for you know the the Champions League uh, that, that that we're talking about for all these sports leagues that are going to streaming exclusively. This is a roadmap uh, for for uh, for the streamers to be able to get their product in bars where people will be able to to watch them. And they'll probably jack up that price though, right? Because you said it's going to become a business if the restaurants are looking well. We could redo all our, you know, how all our digital stuff works, and it might not even be as seamless. Or we could just pay Directv as we're doing. I have to think that they're going to put a premium on that price uh, for restaurants and bars. I don't know if it's going to be all good news for them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the price is going to be, but Directv already has long-standing relationships with all these people. They're already in there, so I can't foresee Directv gouging these uh, the, the, these bars for this because if they do that, that would incentivize the bars to upgrade their their TVs to uh, to, to carry streaming uh, games that are streamed. And Sunday ticket. If you are saying today, you think it's going to be Apple? Yeah, I guess it's gonna it's gonna be Apple. I we've said this before, Andrew. Like, what is the holdup? Like, why why is this taking so long? Uh, I know that they're they're trying to sell the uh, NFL media alongside of it. Um, everything I'm told is that ESPN put in a bid, you know, months ago, but it's it's not considered serious. Uh, the New York Times reported that Google had put in a bid, um, and uh, but but that it wasn't that big. Amazon has a bid in there, but they're not—they're not close to the price that that that, uh, that uh, the NFL wants. Uh, it's got to be Apple, and if it's Apple, like I, I just don't understand why this is something that even the the commissioner and Brian Rollap have said is going to come like you know during the season in September, maybe October. Yeah, I mean Apple is very particular. I'm reading uh, your boy Trip Mickle from the New York Times. His uh book about after Steve, the Apple book. And, and I, you know, everyone knows this, this isn't something that, you know, but you, when you read about, you know, obviously Apple has been known for being so particular. So perhaps that's it. The NFL is pretty particular. I mean, those two groups going at it, um, that must be something uh, in terms of uh, they both have high opinions of themselves. So uh, I could see that uh, being an interesting conversations, but yeah, but anyways, getting back to the main point, I do think that the direct TV element of it uh, makes sense for these bars uh, and uh, restaurants going forward for Sunday ticket as well as Thursday night football. Apple uh, uh, did the deal with uh, MLS and we were saying the same things about MLS. What's taking so long? We know they're talking to Apple. Why is this taking so long? I mean, Apple needs to, you know, the, the, they have the deal done and then there's something else that comes up uh, 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 with respect to that. So th there are reasons to be uh, going slow, but it's just going so much slower than I personally would have expected. All right, let's go to topic two. Live Golf was in your neighborhood, uh, Andrew, at, at Bedminster. You're almost like the Charles Barkley whisperer. You've, you've talked to Charles several times over the past couple of weeks. He entertained uh, uh, Live Golf. He was considering going over there and, and, and broadcasting for them. Charles Barkley decided against going to live golf, which, by the way, is something that you predicted last week. Uh, Chris Mason, can we take a listen to that? Uh, I say my prediction is he does not go to live. Gets a huge raise from Turner and stays there and gets a big bump. I reported and he confirmed he makes $10 million a year from Turner. Uh, I think they already knew that they're going to have to pay him more in light of the Brady $375 million deal in light of what Romo makes um, and Aikman, et cetera, uh, that 
you know, Barkley, the greatest studio analyst of all time at $10 million, even though it's a lot for what he does, um, still underpaid at this point. So they're gonna have to give him a big raise. So I say he does not do it. Why were you so on target with that prediction, Andrew? Well, first off, luck. Okay, that's number one. <laughs> number one is luck. I just ultimately didn't feel like that was the right fit for Barkley. And I just think he's too smart for that move. Um, when I did speak to him and, you know, uh, on Friday, and he told me he wasn't going and then wrote the story. He said it had nothing to do with the Saudis um, backing the live tour. Uh, he said that wasn't uh, an opinion, you know, a part of his decision making, but it had to be a little something there, right? Because he he'd stopped negotiations before they made an offer. So he could have waited. Uh, he said that would have been unfair to Turner, uh, who they are paying him $10 million a year, which may in light of Tom Brady's contract and, and Romo and what Pat McAfee make. Uh, might seem like it's light, but uh, it's still $10 million a year uh, for like, you know, once a week shows except for the playoffs. And he does, you know, he does the NCAA tournament as well. He works pretty hard. You know, so he didn't feel like he needed to, to do that. I do think Turner is going to do right by him. I think Turner will raise his salary, maybe double it, uh, maybe get him the 20 million past uh, Romo and company, but not, I doubt it'll get to Brady, uh, but maybe they get him to 20 million. And then with that, they try to say Charles do two years. So you make it a five-year contract, which if you look at his deal is three years, which lines up when, when the NBA rights are up, but wouldn't you want to be able when Apple's getting involved and Amazon's getting involved, wouldn't you want to go into those negotiations? And again, I'm not saying this is going to be a deal maker, but we have Charles Barkley. We have the iconic inside the NBA. We're going to continue to do that. If you leave, you won't have that. Um, so I do think if I'm Turner, um, I would want Barkley on my side, the same way that CBS felt like it wanted to uh, lock up Romo, which started all this salary, the crazy salaries, uh, right before the NFL deal. And now people are like, well, I heard people say like, well, they wouldn't have done that. Yeah, they wouldn't have done that deal. Yeah, of course they wouldn't have done that deal then. But at the time, you have to understand, I'm not saying like it was a crazy contract. Romo and his um, representatives did an amazing job in terms of uh, getting the money there and betting on themselves. Um, but that said, in CBS's defense, the contracts were up with the NFL, which is the most important thing. ESPN was breathing down uh, their throats and they wanted Romo going into those next deal. It was right before the pandemic. And there was a feeling then that not only was Disney going to try to retain Monday Night Football, but they're going to try to put maybe the AFC package on ABC. So at that point, if you're CBS, do you want Tony Romo on your side or do you want it on ESPN side? And the NFL, I personally don't think it would have probably made a difference, but it's easy for us to say on a podcast when we're just talking about it. And when your jobs are on the line, you know what? Yes, they got beat in the negotiations and end up paying $18 million if you're CBS, but you can understand the circumstances of like this revisionist history that maybe they, oh, they wouldn't have done that deal. Yeah, of course not. It's crazy money. They, they got the, they, and then they end up getting the NFL deal. But at the time, which is when you have to judge it, it made sense from the NFL deals were up. It was pre-pandemic. And that's why they felt the need to do it. Yeah, you did a great job of describing where they were in terms of the business at the time, which is which is why it got it got up as high. But let's not forget that Tony Romo was at I think the height of his popularity at this time too. He was universally loved. It was like you couldn't lose him. Like he was at that time, you know, John Madden reincarnate, like a guy that could 
keep people watching games longer, which is which is the highest compliment that you could say for, for, for an analyst. I think the past couple of years, you know, that that shine has dropped off. There's been a few more detractors that, that, that have uh, that have come out. But at the time they did that, if you talk to Sean McManus or David Burson, they would talk about Tony Romo as a marketing vehicle. Like if you walk through an airport and somebody somebody knows that you work for CBS Sports, the, the, the first name they come up with, you know, is not Clark Kellogg or Jim Nance, it's Tony Romo. Yeah, it's a 10-year deal is a lot, right? That's the other thing. I, I get it, ESPN also 10 years, which to me is crazy. And so you got to understand how, you know, how are he and Nance going to age together? Will they get along and those type of things uh, that could hurt the broadcast over time? But you can understand why they did it. So that's how we got here. And so Barkley, you go into those next negotiations with the NBA. If you can get Barkley, who's talked about retiring at the end of this contract, Get him to do a couple of years. He told me the other day that he doesn't want to decay on the air. Um, but I said for $20 million, you might decay on the air a little bit, right? I mean, I know you hate to do this. Uh, let, let me get you on your uh, prediction uh, bent again. Okay, more predictions. Hello, my Twitter. I you already we started with the Twitter thing, which I started strong, and then the you know just totally put a pin in that. And eh, it was okay, but not great. <laughs> the first week I was very good. And you go to train his podcast. I did it years ago on his, so I do have some street cred, but still not as I, I should have just left it. I shouldn't have done that second week. Right. Just, How many Twitter followers does Charles Barkley have? Charles Barkley has zero Twitter followers. He's not on Twitter. No oh, social. All right, you know, I'm not like even that, you like that, that dramatic up. pause too. A dramatic pause. Other people out there saying, Oh, I bet people are immediately going to go and take a look now. I, I think he's, gonna, he's not, he's on there. Barkley always says that this is like he's not going to do another deal, he's ending it in, in two years. No way, take that to the bank. He's not, he'll be on in some form. And if you're Turner, you got to make it work. Like maybe he doesn't do as many shows, maybe he does less. Uh, that's possible. There's to me zero chance there he's not part of that next deal health being there for him that he's not part of that next round at least you know for a few years um but you know does he do it till 70 maybe not he makes a good point you know these nba players you play at such a high level um for so long it does beat up your body and he does talk about his other nba veterans and you know how their bodies get beat up when they're in their 60s and he wants to be able to enjoy life but um i think he'll enjoy life at 20 million dollars a year the thing that I find unique about uh, Barkley is that he was hired way back when by Mark Lazarus. Then he, he grew, uh, got a great relationship going with uh, David Levy. Uh, Jeff Zucker was, a, they, they both seemed to, to like each other. Now he's with David Zaslov. I mean, I, I don't know how the, his personal relationship is with, with Zaslov, but uh, could that possibly throw a, a wedge in here? Or is it, he doesn't have a longstanding relationship with uh, you know, the guy that's paying his check? It's definitely different. Turner has been in a state of transition for a few years. And, you know, he said to me that they hadn't reached out to him. Uh, he thought they were nervous about the live stuff, but they hadn't reached out to him. You know, I've been told from some sources that they were, they knew Brady's contract and they, they, you know, it was in their mind to kind of do something new with Charles because they know how valuable he is. I think you can make a very good case uh, in terms of analysts. He's the most valuable analyst there is um, in sports. Um, and I'd say he's the best studio analyst of all time, but it is different. But he said to me, and he didn't need to say this publicly, he's going to finish his career with Turner. So I don't think his negotiation is that he's Charles Barkley, not that he gets ESPN interested in him, um, which he could do and they would be, uh, and he could start a bidding war, but he said he'd want a bidding war. Uh, and I, but the thing is getting back to the last thing, 
was Liv real? Yeah, I think Liv could have been real if they just offered him an insane amount of money. I do think there was a little bit of a misnomer, and we talked about it. There are rumors about what they might offer him. We don't know exactly, but like, how much were they going to offer? Were they going to offer $30 million a year? I don't know. That seems, again, they unlimited money. It doesn't seem to matter, but like the golfers, you know, the deals I've read basically are $200 million deals. So those are like four year deals, probably. Uh, so that's like 50 a year. Um, so Barkley comes in at 30. Yeah, maybe 30. That's only 10 million more than he's making now. So like if you can get Turner to come up 10, 20, and then he said he made $10 million in endorsements, then he's at 30 there without having to answer the questions about, um, you know, Saudi money. And even if he says he didn't care, it would have taken a hit on his ego. And even if it's in his words, selective outrage, it's still, it would be different. He'd be viewed differently and things he said might be viewed a little bit differently. So I think he made a good choice for him. All right, let's go to the next topic, uh, which is the Champions League. You had in your New York Post Plus newsletter uh, that came out on Monday morning, the uh, Amazon and CBS are sort of uh, the, uh, going at it to try to get Champions League rights. What do you know? Well, this will all come to a head August 15th, the week of, which we will both be off that week, but we will be doing a podcast. We will be, we have a special podcast planned for that week. Uh, so that's when everything will go down um, where they'll accept bids from everybody. And then the way it works with international soccer is there's 24 hours to up your bid, a second bid. And then by the end of that, you know, a few days later, you'll know who has Champions League. You look at it, like I did a lot of interviews, talked to a lot of people. Um, and I do believe it's probably going to come down to Amazon versus the incumbent CBS and Paramount. You look in the United States, uh, CBS uh, has Champions League right now for two more years and they need it. We talked about what happened with Peacock earlier. If you look at it, they have the NFL as one staple of their Paramount Plus uh, service. And then they have, in terms of sports, uh, and then they also have soccer with the Champions League, which for those who don't know, is the most important club tournament in the world. It is, you know, their championship. If there's something akin besides the World Cup, um, which is only every four years, the one that's every year, the final is akin to the Super Bowl and is viewed, I think, in the world by more people uh, than the Super Bowl in the whole in the entire world. In the United States, it would, between English and Spanish, you're talking about 8 million people. That's worth a lot. So, and then you have Amazon. Um, when you look at this deal, Champions League is willing to go six years, uh, which they've only used to go three years. Amazon does not have soccer um, in print in the United States, but they do have uh, the Champions League in England, um, in Italy, and some other um, European countries as well. Um, and so when you look at it, it would make sense for them to go worldwide with this event and get the U.S. So uh, relevant sports, they're the ones running this auction. Uh, and they promised UEFA $250 million total, um, counting Spanish and English rights. They're going to blow past that. Uh, I'd be shocked if it doesn't hit probably around 350. I would, no, I shouldn't say shocked at 350. It would, I'd be shocked if it's not more than 300. I think it could hit 350. And I think they're aiming maybe even get to 400 and past 400. And that's where Amazon and CBS going head to head. Um, and you can see why it's important to both of them. Here's the thing about uh, UEFA and the Champions League and really any sort of international league. The U.S. is not their home market. The U.S. is a very important market to them, but it's not their home market. So the idea of trying to grow the sport or grow the game through 
through a broadcast deal or trying to get more reach, they want money. They want the most money. And, and almost always, I can't think of a time when an international league uh, went to a, a, a somebody that bid less because they promised uh, different things. So if, if Amazon is the one that's gonna come in with the highest bid, this is gonna go to Amazon. Amazon has deeper pockets. I, 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 to me, Amazon is a front runner on this. I know CBS is gonna go and talk about, you know, putting the final on broadcast television and the number of people that, that are watching that. But that, does, that, that just doesn't matter as much. They want, it, they, they want the top dollar. And, and, and if, if CBS is gonna pay up for that top dollar, it's gonna be based on Paramount Plus and trying to put, put some sports on that. My read of it is that Amazon is in the driver's seat. Yeah, and Amazon Prime Video is in, they, they say they have 80 million plus uh, people who actually use Amazon Prime Video. They're actually using it. So that's kind of like a cable. So they have reach, like as compared to like Apple TV Plus does not have reach yet uh, in terms of how many people actually use it. Now they're growing, they're younger. And so, you know, maybe they'll get there. But uh, so they have reach. Um, and look, the other ones, NBC Peacock, we talked about. I don't think they, they have Premier League. So how many more soccer fans are they getting with champions? Doesn't seem like that's a good place. ESPN has a lot of soccer, La Liga and Buddhist Linga and FA Cup. Um, and then Fox is someone who maybe could partner if they wanted someone to put on broadcast TV, the final, et cetera. Uh, but they have a great suite of soccer with the World Cup and the Euros they just got um, and other competitions that take place in the summer, uh, usually except when FIFA somehow made a deal with Qatar to have the World Cup and then they made it. So they had to move the World Cup from the summer to the winter. I'm sure that was above board uh, when they did that. (laughs) Make a deal with all these places and you end up with a place where you have to actually move the event uh, six months uh, back because it's going to be too hot. Um, That makes a lot of sense to me. Probably nothing untoward would happen happen there. Um, And so uh, when you look at it, yeah, I think it's Amazon and CBS and that's going to be an interesting one. And this would be one if Amazon wins where John Warren's going to have to say that was something other people actually wanted. Yeah, but if, if you parse the words of what I said earlier, like they're just taking the top dollar. They're not like thinking about, uh, 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 about. Uh, but you, they didn't get F1. There. F1 went with uh, ESPN. And you were I know there. that was a, that, that was a shocker, but Chase carries, uh, you know, he's from the U.S. So he understands all, all that, that whole aspect of it. Let's talk about the popularity of European soccer. I, uh, you know, the European Women's Championship on ESPN up 43% from uh, 2016, drew 6.5 million viewers. Were you surprised by that? I'm not. Like, if I were an executive, women's sports is something I would be investing in. If you talk about growth, there's an audience. We see it in uh, college sports with the women's basketball tournament. We see it with, with some nice numbers they had for the college volleyball tournament. And I just think that there's a momentum worldwide um, for women's sports um, for good reason. These games are exciting. Uh, and you saw the crowd there. It's a packed house. Uh, the excitement in England. Now they announced the game against the U.S. and friendly. Uh, that's going to happen relatively soon. You know, soccer, someone who loves soccer, you've always heard, you know, soccer's coming, soccer's coming. It's like, and you know, whatever. And that's been coming on since we were kids, right? I do think soccer is here, but I also think like women's sports, that same kind of conversation has been happening. And uh, I think women's sports are here. Right now, it's a matter of coverage and how treating the audience with respect 
and which is done now. I'm not saying it's not, but like, it's not any different than covering the men's game. And I think that's what we've talked about in the past with like Peacock and what ESPN has done with soccer in terms of really doing such a professional broadcast for people who like the sport. So if I'm covering, if I'm watching um, a women's soccer game, just give me your best coverage. You don't have to explain things. You have to act like it's different. No, this is top competition. And I just think those numbers are going to get, there's just great growth potential. Um, And I, you know, I think if you look at it, it's 43% higher than it was in uh, the last time they had the Euros on ESPN uh, for the final. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that's the great growth potential in women's sports. Yeah. Every time I talk to a media executive, they always mention women's sports and the growth of, of women's sports. It's kind of funny to me because like women's sports has been here for a while. The, the women's uh, softball world series outright outrates the baseball world series in college you know, uh, more more than half the time over the past several years. I mean, the, the, you look at tennis as as sort of the a go to for where where this can head. But what what I'm seeing now and the difference now is that you have executives that are not only recognizing that, but also bankrolling it. They're supporting it. They're starting to to pay more for rights. They're starting to put uh, the the games in more attractive time slots. And it's uh, it's something that, uh, that that has been a trend that's been happening for at least a couple of years now. Yeah. And one thing I, I do want to point out that I think is important, I do think ESPN has been the leader on this and has been doing it for a long time. I mean, they have the most tonnage and they have these deals um, and, you know, everyone wants to pick on ESPN all the time and a lot of times rightfully so. But I do think when you look at this, this isn't like new to what they're doing. Now, other people getting interested and then and them having to actually bid against other people who are going to want these things is going to be interesting to see how as we progress. Um, but but I do think ESPN has been a leader in this uh, for for a, a good amount of time, uh, and especially if you like look at the growth of the women's uh, college basketball tournament um, and that March Madness. I mean, they've been uh, fueling that. You know, they have UConn in their backyard, uh, which is you know, probably helpful. But but I think ESPN we have to point out there. Um, all right, so Andrew, we're, we're toward the end. Let's do the call of the week. Call of the week. All right, with Trey Mancini, final at bat. John, Kevin, John, John, Kevin John. Brown. <laughs> what, John, what? every week we talk about call of the week, and every week he wants an Orioles. Uh, every this call was, of the week, Orioles. This was Kevin magical. Brown. I said, I mean, look, do we, the, the, we, do we have an official uh marshan and orion call the week stats first maybe like a katie sharp who's great on baseball stats uh does like the yankee stats and all the stats used to work at espn and uh is uh, amazing she's an mlb now she uh does all the stats we need somebody for call the week stats. john would have it be the orioles every single we're not doing the orioles for one week all, all right. right just so long as it isn't the yankees no, it is the Yankees. Oh, anyway, my God. <laughs> New record, all right? But I did have a story this week about John Sterling uh, with uh, the Yankees and FAN. They are thinking about the transition. He's a mere 84 years old. His voice is amazing. Uh, he's, a med- he's a medical marvel that his voice is so amazing at 84. But they're, you know, one guy who's um, kind of come to the, is the leading candidate to be part of the transition is Brendan Burke, who does the Islanders games. TNT, NHL's number two play-by-player, excellent play-by-play guy. Uh, he's emerged. They love Ryan Rucco. 
you know, he makes probably too much money with TV, uh, you know, big money guy with the TV. And then uh, a young guy named Justin Shackle, not a young guy, you know, middle, you know, 30 years, 30s, 30 plus year old guy um, who uh, is a Yankee reporter who did a good job too, because uh, they've had some guys fill in, but there's still only one John Sterling last week, 80, listen to this guy's voice, 84 years old, John Sterling, Aaron Judge, game-winning home run in the ninth at Yankee Stadium. Let's hear it. And the pitch swung on and hit in the air to deep left center. It is high. It is far. It has got a walk-off home run to win the game. A judgey blast. You know, Andrew, that is exactly what you were talking about with your with your who's down in terms of radio and, and your, your relationship with with an announcer that as a guy that grew up in dc i have no relationship with sterling it just sounds like a, a regular call but like he he owns that new york market and he owns yankee fans in a way that he he touches them in a way that i i it's, it's difficult to understand yeah we were listening we we're driving the other day and usually it's music i can if i get the yankee game on or the met game on i gotta fight with my family but my wife was listening and she said you know you listen to them and it makes you want to go to a game you hear the background noise. Um, and I just think baseball is such a, I mean, maybe I sound like an old romantic here. It's such a radio sport. It's a radio and newspaper sport. You know, we talk about TV all the time with the NFL, but just there's something about it in the background. It's the sound of summer. And Sterling has been that for so long here in New York. Uh, and he's not really going anywhere. He'll, he'll probably do at least the home games next year and probably some of the road games. But at 84, you know, you do see that transition. And what did Vince Scully, I think Scully went to 88. Uh, but the Yankees and FAN are starting to do that now. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the end of the podcast. Uh, as always, uh, the call to action that we get from Chris Mason and AC Wyatt is uh, please rate and review us. Five stars would be the best. Uh, but uh, this was fun, Andrew. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. And I also, yeah, you know what? I, that's good that you mentioned. I want to, we, we have, we give them credit sometimes with Mason and, and, and Wyatt. They make this podcast all happen, you know, as a, uh, you know, every week producing it also. We want to just send a shout out to them. Dog, dog. <laughs> <laughs>